Hello, Aussie outlaws and ambulance drivers and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us all about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host... Michael Hull. Our guest today is a great film critic and an even greater friend. She is a senior correspondent at Vox covering film and culture. And before that, she was chief film critic at Christianity Today. Her work has appeared in Rolling Stone, Bon Appetit, The Washington Post, Vulture, RogerEber.com, The Atlantic, Books and Culture, The Los Angeles Review of Books, and even more. Uh, she's a member of the New York Film Critics Circle and the National Society of Film Critics. Her most recent book is Salty, Lessons on Eating, Drinking, and Living from Revolutionary Women. Please welcome the one, the only, Alyssa Wilkinson. Hi, Alyssa. Hello. Thanks, guys. It's so good to be here. Thank you for coming on. This is like such a treat. And mm -hmm. uh, and to get to talk uh, about something other than the movies that are coming out uh, in the next <laughs> four months, uh, yes. right as we uh, prepare to head into the fall festivals. We uh, sure are. I the, feel like we're, we're in the calm before the storm right now. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year. It truly is. Um, okay, so look, your Supercritic origin story is one of my favorites. So tell us about the year you chose and where you were in your life as a filmgoer and writer during that year. Yes. So, um, of course, there are some years that are obviously more interesting than others, and you might pick based on that. But I picked 2005 um, for a very particular reason. So it was the year I graduated from college and moved to New York City. Yay! Um, and I think I could also say that it is the first year I really watched movies. Mm. Um in any serious way. So I I grew up in a family where movies weren't really part of our lives. And some of that was just because there were not real big movie people. And also because um, I grew up in a really conservative world. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of movies were kind of suspect. So I saw like a handful of Jimmy Stewart movies and stuff like that. But um, And probably but the year before this, you probably saw The Passion of the Christ. Like... I did see The yes, Passion of the yes. Christ. It may have been my first R-rated film now that I think about it, but I did go Yours see it. Yours and many others. And many others. Yeah, still the highest uh, highest grossing R-rated film of all time. So I moved yes, to New indeed. York in 2005, and I started dating a guy who I married a year later, but he, um, he had been to film school, and he was working in film at the time. He was actually... Okay. When we met, he was interning simultaneously with John Sales and Jim Jarmish. It's a good gig. Good, good, good sandwich of gigs there. Yeah. Yes. And so um, I was like, I don't know who any of these people are, but right. I was living in the West Village a few blocks from Film Forum. Um, and like one of the first things uh, that we did was uh, go to a Boris Karloff festival that they were doing that nice. I remember quite distinctly. Nice. Uh, and... I just was kind of amazed by the whole thing. I just thought like, wow, like all these people, they like pay money and they go see mm. these old movies that mm -hmm. they've seen before. And, yep. um, and that year there was also a, a you just my life and most of my friends. In <laughs> I mean, yes, an incredibly exactly. short number of words. <laughs> yep. They go see these old movies they've seen before. Yeah. That's, I mean, this is what I do with my time now. Right. Yeah. But, um, there was also like a, 
Jack Kislovsky festival at Lincoln Center that year, I remember. Uh So I just like saw all of those. And so, you know, with sort of the aid of someone being like, we need to go see this movie and we need to go see this movie. I started actually watching movies. Um, And the following year I started writing and I sort of ventured into a few like movie reviews because I was young and an idiot. And I was like, sure, I could do that. (laughs) And of course, you know, a lot of being a good critic is really more about being a good writer than it is about having an encyclopedic knowledge of the back catalog of cinematic history. (laughs) Or even a good opinion. In fact, being having bad opinions sometimes makes you a better, a better or more well read, more, you know, widely read critic. Exactly. Um, More employable. Exactly. So 2005 will always have a, a soft place in my heart. And I also, you know, sort of as an addendum, I'm delighted every time I'm at the IFC Center in New York because they run this sort of pre-show reel with just yep. like like sort of small clips of directors talking about their films. And some of them are still the same ones they were running. In they, it is. That's the same pre-show. Like I moved here in 06. And yes, yep. that pre-show was running then. And it just still is. Just takes you right you know, back, doesn't it? Nothing ever changes. Well, everything changes all the time in New York, and yet nothing changes. And in yeah. this case, it really doesn't change. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I so all that. of that is really delightful to remember. I love that. All right. Well, you've got a really sturdy top five here of some some great movies from here and abroad, mostly abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Before we get into that, uh, Mike is going to walk us through what was going on in the world outside of the IFC Center and their never-changing pre-show. Here's headlines. <laughs> Uh-huh. 2005 film form was maybe the best thing happening in 2005. It started annoyingly when George W. Bush was sworn in for a second term and promised to send a bunch more people to Iraq to kill and die. This was one of my first like big sort of like when I had my Pauline Kale moment, like the sort of sort of mis misquoted line about how could Richard <laughs> yes. Nixon have won? I don't know anyone who voted for him. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like I was still living in Wichita, Kansas, and I didn't know anyone there who had voted for George. How could he? How yep. was he possibly? <laughs> how was this comically terrible president going to win again? And he did. He sure did. Mm hmm. It was pretty depressing. Well, wasn't that was he wasn't he running against K- John Kerry? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. Democrats with their classic, yeah, not even trying even a little <laughs> yeah, tiny yeah, yeah. bit, you know. Yeah, there's the, that too. the line about snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Oh, really? you know Seldom... who we should get for VP Tim Kaine. He's gonna kill it. Okay, sorry, that was a different yeah. year. In February, mm-hmm. no one will believe this. YouTube was founded. All right, so here we are, one of the uh, elephants. The cool thing about these guys is that, is that they have really, really, really long um, fronts, and that's that's cool. And that's pretty much all there is to say. Uh huh. I was just talking about this the other day. We couldn't remember uh, whether YouTube existed when I was in college, but apparently it did. Right, because it just seems like it's existed forever now because it's so Mm -hmm. ubiquitous. It's very hard to remember. Like, you remember using a map? No, of course not. (laughs) You think your grandparents knew how. You don't know. You don't remember. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Programmer and co founder Jawad Karim uploaded, I don't know if that's how you say his name. Sorry, Jawad Karim. Sorry if I'm messing your name up, brother. You're very rich. I'm sure you don't care. Uploaded a video called Me at the Zoo a couple months later, and a whole new paradigm of entertainment was launched. Uh, what do, do we think the world is a better place because this this uh, yeah. this website began? Is it? Yes. yes. Hold on. I think let, let, let's dial debate. up. Uh, 
let's dial up episode one guest Alex Winter and see what he has to say. <laughs> <on the matter. laughs> uh, I think the debate is live on Facebook, but I think overall yeah. YouTube, you know, I think overall the YouTube is still. I think like you know, there's a lot of like loud assholes on there for sure. But I think sure. mostly yeah. YouTube is for people who, who like da- whose dad didn't teach him how to like use a screwdriver or shave. <laughs> you know it's what I mean? True. Or like nobody's it's ever true. taught him how to make mashed potatoes. I think yeah. that's what YouTube is for more than anything else at this point. You know? And a lot of people put their VHS rips of movies that never made it to DVD. So I do appreciate it for that. Yes, a lot of right. silence. I mean, yeah, fair it's enough. not unalloyed, but overall good. Right. Uh, in April, Pope J.P. Deuce has died, and they smoked out that old gnarly-looking <laughs> fella, Bernie. Benny? Ber- Benny. Bye. In May, the song My Number One by Greek artist Helena Paparizou won the Eurovision Song Contest. Do you remember that? No. No, you know why? <laughs> why, Mike? Because there are a dozen American artists from Tina Turner to Britney Spears who would have done a much better job with that song and, in fact, never would have cut that shit tune in the first place. There's a oh. reason we don't listen to European music that's less than 100 years old because fucking Motown <laughs> wasn't in Belgium. Am I right? Here's the thing. Here's what I love about, about headlines is that, like, you are the most, like, unpatriotic, like, call America out on every foreign policy infraction ever. But when it comes to culture, this man bleeds red, white, and blue. He's waving a flag. He's USA, USA. Yes, you're right about European music, Mike. Carry on. Mm-hmm. Reports are just coming in of an explosion at Liverpool Street Station here in London. On that old gate, I can confirm a bomb damage to train. One carriage completely wiped out. At least nine people, very seriously injured and trapped. Two confirmed fatalities. There was just explosion. A white, big white, appeared, and then it was just smoke everywhere. In the tunnel, it was trying to close the doors because it was just smoke and couldn't breathe. In July, four coordinated bombings in London killed 52. And they were quickly compared to the UK's 9-11 by people who really wanted everyone to think of it that way. Right. You yep. know, really yep. wanted to be excited yep. about Iraq and all that. <clears throat> then later in the month, a series of bombings were set off in the resort town of Sharm el-Sheikh in El-Sheikh in Egypt that killed 80. There was a lot of real terrorism happening at that time, and invading Iraq made it worse. Two things, one head. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There we go. There we go. And subtle, but in even many ways more profoundly devastating, is the lasting damage to the survivors' will to rebuild and remain in the area. The destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. In August was Hurricane Katrina. Several good docs on Hurricane Katrina if you want to be big mad, because that's really the only reasonable reaction you can have to it. Boo! Mm-hmm. In October, Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein was found guilty of just one of thousands of war crimes and crimes against humanity committed during his shitty career, mostly with our help, if we're True. keeping it a buck. And All that's right. the real news from 2005. We were at war, and if you didn't like it, you were a bad person. And even though now everyone agrees we had no business sending our neighbors to kill and die there, we just don't talk about it anymore. <laughs> it was a grim time to not want to go bomb brown people. Like, it really... <sighs> and again, this is, this is an ex, uh, uh, especially in Wichita, Kansas. There were, there were not a lot yes. of us out there like, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't do this. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be setting Dixie Chicks records on fire. You guys, I'm oh, just throwing gosh. it out of here. Uh, good doc, good documentary though. Barbara Koppel, good documentary. Uh, uh, shut up and sing, Dixie Chick. Sorry, go ahead. 
All right, let's stay focused on the important stuff. In November, the Xbox 360 came out. All right, now we're good. Mm. Congratulations, Mike. Yes, very good. <laughs> also in November, surgeons in France completed the first human face transplant. That sounds terrible. Oh. The mm-hmm. patient... They took a face off, would you say? So, the <laughs> I patient... Mean, the procedure had been outlined by John Woo <laughs> was... eight years earlier. I don't know why it took them so long to make it medical fact. Like, it was, it's in the title. Okay. Apparently, the lady took too many sleeping pills. There's some debate as to whether that was intentional or not, but the effect was that when her dog tried to wake her up and she didn't wake up, the dog panicked and scratched her entire face off. Oh, I don't know that we needed all the details of the face I think Alyssa needed the details. I think uh, Alyssa might have needed I the details. I remembered the details as you were saying them, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, because it was okay. such a good year, in December, yeah. whoever makes such decisions decided to add one second to the year 2005, making December 31st, 2005 officially 23 hours, 59 minutes, and 60 seconds long. Okay. That's very exciting. Some wow. new words were recognized by whoever decides those decisions. Uh, okay. Glamping. What? Locavore. Nope. Microblogging. Yep. Ah, that one I know. Uh, yeah. Pre-exposure prophylaxis. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, ransomware. I remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rock snot. No idea. Like, no. Th- is that not a cocaine reference? <laughs> that has to be a cocaine <laughs> reference, right? That sure has to be. Sounds like it. Uh, yeah. Sexting came out in, uh, in mm-hmm. 2000. Never heard of it. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm sure. Truther and uh, and vodcast. Jason, okay. what the fuck is a vodcast? I have no idea. I assume I, it's a podcast on video. 17 yeah. years later, we still haven't come up with a better name for it because vodcast did not stick. Yeah, you gotta. You can't just combine a couple of words to make a new word. That doesn't always work. It has to like be memorable on its own. People who were born in 2005 are barely even alive at this point. So let's do Agreed. deaths. Uh, Rosa okay. Parks, Pat Morita, mm-hmm. friend of the show Luther Vandross, uh, mm-hmm. skinny and fat Luther. We do not discriminate. Yep. Friend of every show Johnny Carson, Amen. Nipsey mm-hmm. Russell, Link Ray, Arthur Miller, uh, Bob Denver, aka Gilligan. Yep. <laughs> Unbought and unbossed Shirley Chisholm. Yep. Sandra D. and Bancroft, Don Adams, John DeLorean, Max Schmeling, Don Adams, James Doohan. A lot of 60s TV people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Passed in 05. Ossie Davis. Yeah. Shout yeah, out R. to Ossie Davis. Yeah. Yeah. August Wilson, mathematician Mary Jackson, Nazi hunter Simon Wiesenthal. Uh, uh, Johnny Cochran. memory be a blessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Robert Moog. Invented the Moog synthesizer. Very he important, sure man. Huh. In American sure music. We're going to go back to American music. You know what yeah. else the goddamn Belgians didn't invent? The fucking Moog. <laughs> that was an American. <laughs> Jimmy Smith, R.L. Burnside, Ibrahim Ferrer, one of my favorite pianists. Vincent mm-hmm. Schiavelli, Peter Jennings. Oh. Mitch Hedberg did exactly what he always said he was going to do, if we're being Correct. honest. Yep. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson ate a bullet in 2005. Check mm-hmm. out his suicide note if you want to learn something about good writing. And yep. finally, a uh, friend of the show, our patron saint, the King Richard Pryor, went to his glory and mm-hmm. finally got to rest mm-hmm. his busy mind. Thank you for mm-hmm. all you gave us, Rich. Now, can yeah. you get this monkey's dick out of my ear? All right, all in sports. Right. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, the New England Patriots beat the Philadelphia Eagles, blah, 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 mm-hmm. fucking Tom mm-hmm. Brady, whatever, the Chicago White Sox. <laughs> Swept the Houston Astros to win the World Series. Jermaine Taylor beat Bernard Hopkins to become the undisputed middleweight champ, ending Hopkins' 10-year, 20-fight title reign. That was a big okay. deal in 2005 for yeah. old 
men. Lance Armstrong <laughs> won the Tour de France for a record-setting seventh consecutive time, but it turns out he had a little help in form of the most sophisticated doping ring ever. Shout out there- to Lance Armstrong's drug dealer. This there is a film connection here. Uh, the we, the year before two thousand five, little film called Dodgeball, a true underdog story, and <laughs> its its climactic pep uh, pep speech has not aged very well. <laughs> the Lance Armstrong cameo kind of derails that one now. I mean, like even the postal service was like, "You're a bad person. We're suing you for our fucking money back." Like, wow. Tiger Woods was on his big run, beating the plaid pants off of everybody. You always play with a a lovely smile on your face. You smile when you come up here. Why do you get so much pleasure from football? Bueno, estoy siempre sonriendo porque tengo la 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 felicidad de hacer las cosas que más amo en mi vida que es jugar al fútbol entonces no hay otra manera de de no jugar contento y sonriendo. He's saying he's got a happy disposition that he always smiles when he does the thing that he loves best in the world and playing football is top of his list. And finally, mm-hmm. there was no World Cup in 2005, but Ronaldinho oh. was elected FIFA World Player of the Year and will forever be first in my heart. Shout out to Ronaldinho. That's sports and that's right. headlines. Thank you, Mike. Alyssa, you ready to do a top five? I am. All right. We talked before the show, and uh, list queens will be happy to hear that this is a ranked list. Alyssa will give them to us in descending order of quality, but all five top-notch pictures from the year of our Lord. Bangers, if you will, from the year of our Lord 2005. So, Alyssa, what is the number five movie on your top five of 05? So I should caveat this with I hate ranked lists, and so this is this is going to be. In fact, I changed the list right before we went on. Air, <laughs> but you still I, did it, and that's how deeply ingrained the need to a ranked list is. Among... I just hang out with a lot of middle-aged men. Is my problem. <laughs> All right. So number five, I have um, John Hillcoat's film The Proposition. Australia. What fresh hell is this? I wish to present you with a proposition. You want me to kill me, brother? I want you to kill your brother. I know why you've come back, Charlie. Now this is a this is a pretty grisly little item to uh-huh. lead to lead off with. Uh, sure what, is. What, what struck you so much about uh, about the proposition? Yeah. So in constructing this list, I kind of went on vibes, um, which I guess is how all lists really <laughs> yes. go. And it's the and only real the propos- good way to do it. It's the only <laughs> sound construction theory. Yes. Truly. And you know, I've watched a lot of westerns. I had to watch like a ton of John Wayne movies for the the book I just finished writing and Mm -hmm. is sort of in process but um i don't really like westerns i don't enjoy them uh like at all really but um (laughs) but this is the one that i always hold out as the example of the western i did like Mm -hmm. um and i think partly it's because this movie really is almost just vibes um Mm. largely i think because it was written by nick cave yeah the musician and screenwriter and it really shows i think in the rhythm of it and the <laughs> the the rhythm of the 
the story, it's very creepy. You kind of don't know if you're watching a horror film. You kind of are watching a horror mm-hmm. film. Of course, a great deal of that has to do with the fact that it's also an Australian right. Western. Um, and, you know, I don't know if Australians know how to make a movie that isn't a little bit of a horror film. Yeah. No, um, like even Crocodile Dundee is like creepy in spots. Yeah. Truly. <laughs> you know, and, and I think as far as the storyline goes, it's pretty you know, straightforward. There's a gang, there's a guy, there's justice, there's all of these things. But there's this real feeling of like eerie desolation in part because Nick Cave's score for the film. Um, And in part because there are moments of violence that you see very clearly and that are really um, just disturbing. Like a guy's, you know, head gets kind of blown apart and you're you don't forget that very easily. And that's a lot of what I really love about this film. I'm not even totally sure I've seen it since then, but there are whole sequences of it that are like burnt into my memory because of that. And Mm -hmm. uh, the, the sounds, the score is so, so incredible that I believe when they ported it over to, you know, album form, it kind of just plays through almost like, like a twisted little, symphony or something like right. that with very little alteration yeah i gotta say that's the you know the 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 screenwriter score composer combo is not uh <laughs> not a a frequently seen site but boy when you can get those two working together that closely uh the results are pretty pretty fucking spectacular and i do i like the scores the, the that he uh and, and warren ellis have done are some of my favorites of you know of recent years i that assassination of Jesse James score is just like, it's like a, a beautiful, like you said, like a beautiful symphony, it, you know, a beautiful, terribly disturbing symphony, which I think is a, is a pretty accurate assessment of this film as well. As well. Um, John Hillcoat has had sort of a spotty record since then. Why do you think that Truly. is? I, it, pff, I mean, who knows? It might just be because I feel like, I mean, he made The Road and mm-hmm. that was, that did well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you start looking at what he's made since then. And it's not even movies I remember right. seeing, although I think I did. Lawless, Triple Nine. Right. Um, you know, I, I think, again, th- when you watch this, it almost feels like a perfect match of a sensibility and a, a screenplay. Very much so. And when you put those together, there's also this thing about that period of like 2005 to, I don't know, 08, 09, something like that, where this kind of a film um, just hit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? No, no, it no. Was, it, you know, and it was a real moment for low budget films that had um, great actors in them that were, I guess, arty and violent and scary. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've kind of moved away from that ability in the past 18 years or so. My God, you know, to 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 do a late season episode and go all the way back to an early season episode. We talked about this with Roxana when we were doing 2007, that there's a that in this period and a lot of film in this period, you know, there's a real end of an empire feeling. And like, even though when we say that we're talking about sort of how, how fucking bleak the world felt for us as Americans. And especially as you get into 06, 07 and the end of the Bush era, I still think that's, that's present in some of these foreign films as well. Oh, completely. And you know, this was a really small budget film and it didn't make a lot of money, but it, is something people have seen and know about. And mm-hmm. I think that's just indicative. I, you know, I often think of, I'm sure you know the Sopranos quote better than I do about 
you know, coming in at the end of yeah. something and feeling like, and, you know, coming into film criticism in that sort of late <laughs> hot stretch really does feel like I, I, your I personal Tony true, Soprano. It, it feels a little bit like the last gasp of something. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That was an agree. era similar to the way in the 90s we got a lot of, uh-huh. you know, sort of people were like Sonic Youth existed before. Nirvana, but like the country just was was the sort of pop culture just it wasn't in that headspace. And like, yeah, he wrote a book called "And the Ass Saw the Angel," um, that I didn't see the proposition until after I read that book. And that is mm-hmm. one of my favorite books that I've ever read. And it takes yeah. place much later in time than the proposition. But then I went back and watched the proposition after finding this incredible book because I was always sort of so-so on his music but then this book blew my mind and Proposition even though it's a different sort of time they're both Australia they're very tonally similar and Mm -hmm. the music in the movie is is as you're saying like sort of is you can tell that like the music was moving around in his head while he was writing down the words you know (laughs) it's that sort of you know but I think like in a way sort of the world and the culture got depressed enough to be able to like work on Nick Cave's level for a little mm-hmm. while. Yeah. And that was when, yeah. you know, the, he had those opportunities and those things landed. The book is yeah. really good. If you like the proposition and the ass saw the angel is wild. He did another, he wrote another book. That's like a novel about a guy who just really loves Kylie Minogue. And it just feels a lot more <laughs> like the book you think he would write. You know, it's much less satisfying, frankly, because it feels like the, you know, but yeah. and the ass saw the angel is wild. If you like the proposition, you'll like it. He's a fascinating artist yeah. and his his perspective, I would I mean, not to compare him to Cormac McCarthy just because the road came up. But there is like a lot of harmony between his right. weird vision of the world and, and McCarthy. And you just get that emptiness and bleakness and also the sense that there's something else going mm-hmm. on there that's human between the characters so i think it's a really spectacular movie speaking of bleakness Alyssa wilkinson <laughs> what is the number four movie on your top five of 2005 uh this is uh jean-pierre and luc dardenne's movie l'enfant which is the child in English. Um, I don't know if this is their best, but it it's up there with their best. Uh, you know, I, I'm reminded of this movie or I was reminded of this movie every year when I would teach film and have my students watch this movie um, specifically to think about acting because they were shocked to discover it wasn't a documentary. I mean, these are undergrads really, but it's got this naturalism to it that, you know, if you've never encountered it and keep in mind, I had definitely never seen a naturalistic Belgian film um, before I saw this movie and it really like hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, it's kind of an incredible story where you almost don't know what it means at the end and you're, you're kind of caught up in it um, the whole way through even though what's happening on screen is like not a thriller technically, but it feels like it is. You just don't know what this guy's going to do with this baby and Mm -hmm. (laughs) neither does he. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's the child. Right. Um, But you know, the memory I have most attached to this film, which is incredible, but the, and it won the Palme d'Or. So it is incredible, but um, 
the 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 memory I have most attached to this film is it was the first moment that I recognized what sound design could do in a film. Mm. I remember saying to my boyfriend at the time, um, husband now, um, wow, like European films, you can hear them walking. And he kind of stopped and said, I guess you're right. And of course, I didn't know what I was talking about, but there is an element of uh, but you sound were right. design. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in films like this, where you hear you hear them walking, you hear the crunch, you hear mm-hmm. like tappings and everything's a little heightened. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, I think it's because you're you're kind of being brought into the headspace of um, Bruno, who's Jeremy Renier's character. Um but that was really striking to me. It was like me learning. Uh, actually, I would say most of the films in this list are films that taught me how to watch a movie. And that yeah. was really what I took away from this. I also have to say, um, it took me years to realize that Jeremy Renier and Jeremy Renner are not, in fact, the same person. It is the most. <laughs> That's not just like, Jeremy the, Renner said by a French person. Said by a French person. No, I mean, it's the most evidence that we're living in a simulation that I have. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that glitch. Oh God, Alyssa! This was one. This was one of the two on your list that I had never seen before. uh, You gave me this list because I moved, as I said, to New York the year after you, and so in 2005 I was still seeing the foreign films that made their way to Wichita, Kansas, and this was not one of them. Um, It is astonishingly sort of bleak, um, hard to watch in spots. I also. It also has the biggest laugh of maybe any movie I saw in the past two weeks, which is when this man turns up at the apartment of his girlfriend, whose baby he tried to sell, and when she is giving him the cold shoulder, he says, and I quote, what did I do? Okay. (laughs) It's a real am I the asshole moment. Yes. Yes, it is. Correct. This man said, what did I do? And boy, if that's just not the most mediocre white man quote imaginable. Truly. I think this is one of those things that like no, most people would, it would just never occur to them to do that. So yes. like in the movie, it's like it's genuinely shocking in a way that like motherfuckers get shot in movies all the time. Sure. How often do you yes. see somebody go try to sell an infant? Like- I mean, the <laughs> second he's alone with that child, he does not yes. hesitate. It's not like there's any pause. It's not like he goes to the store first. The second he's alone, he is on the phone. I'm like, this dude is this is somebody to hang your picture on. It's um, hard to shock people in movies nowadays, but like that's mm-hmm. one way yeah. that'll do it. Yeah, but I will. Mm-hmm. I will like you know. But I was with it all the way through. But like that ending, which I'm not going to talk about. Like if you haven't seen it, just just track down the child L'Enfant. The the I was not prepared for the closing moments of that movie to hit me no. the way that they did. It's, no, and I think one thing this movie taught me also was that a good movie was one, like you're saying, where you d- you can't actually predict what they're right. going to do next. Right. Yeah. And um, I think all my movie viewing to that point had conditioned me to believe that the point of a movie was for me to not be startled or uncomfortable in any yeah. way. And this completely upended it. And that was so exciting for me yeah. what a what a great feeling this guy threw you into a hurricane without oh, yeah. an umbrella he's <laughs> like oh, you want to watch some movies babe let's go that is that is true <laughs> and uh to that end Alyssa, what is the number three movie 
another super list. super cheery movie. <laughs> um, it is actually technically a comedy. It is uh, the the death of Mr. Lazarescu. Um, I, you know, my Romanian's a little rusty, so sure. I can't tell you exactly how to Christy Poi you. I don't know. I've never Poi. Sorry. We've, I can't tell you. We're writers. We're not speakers. We write <laughs> these names so down. True. We don't say them. We're yeah. We're the kids who pronounced all the words wrong because we read them in books. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you know, I I was trying to describe to someone recently what the difference between a Romanian Romanian tragedy and a Romanian comedy was, <laughs> and How'd my that answer go? was that in the comedy at the end everybody dies, <laughs> and that is sort of. The um the 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 vibe at least yep. for the movies that get ported out to the international box office. It is a funny movie if it you is. know it's supposed to be funny. Correct. And the whole concept of it is just that this guy, you know, he's sick and he's gonna die. But he every time they show up in an emergency the room, the doctor's like, "No, we can't treat him. You're gonna have to go to this other hospital." Yep. And so it's a little bit maybe Kafka esque, you could say. Um, it's a little bit of like. You know, the it feels like the gods have condemned somebody here to a horrible, just never-ending nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does die. The spoilers in the it's um, right there in the title. It's it's okay. Title. We're gonna spoil. Yeah. it. Yeah, but uh, you know, again, I feel like from this movie, uh, I learned many things. One of mm. which was that bleakness could be funny, Fair. and it was. Um, I also. You know, I don't think at the time I was very attuned to the like indignities of the medical system in the U.S., but had I been, I feel like I would have seen mm-hmm. some direct correlations here. I certainly, you know, I have a little brother. I've been in a lot of emergency rooms, so, <laughs> so yeah. you know, you can imagine it there. But in general, I just think I I loved that I was watching a movie that was technically about a guy, but really about a system. Right. Um, and that is not easy to pull off. It is something that people from Eastern Europe and like former Soviet bloc countries tend to do really well. Yeah. Um, but the the use of what is essentially satire to point to something kind of wild and having it hit with an audience was really, right. um, really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. God, I can't imagine seeing this with an audience. Um, the, the the this was the other film that I hadn't seen before. The first doctor at the first hospital is the most most loathsome character I've seen in a film this week. And I watched a movie about a guy who sells his baby. (laughs) That's how much I fucking hated the first doctor at the first hospital. Um, Mm -hmm. There are other, you know, almost as hateable characters later on. But that guy, the guy who kind of looks like Abe Lincoln, he rubbed me the wrong way. Did not care for him. (laughs) Did not care for him at all. Um, have you, uh, the Romanian cinema is like, is remains like really vital. Like was this sort of, this was, I assume your introduction to that. Yeah. Corner truly, of the yeah. truly kind of, I guess gateway drug is the yeah. only proper term yeah. for it. Um, you know, there have been so many great Romanian films since then, and they still generally do tend to be about the system. Yep. Um, and uh, 
And that, I don't know, that's exciting to me. It's something I don't really see happening a lot in film. And one of the best ones that I, you know, that I think I've seen and a lot of other people have is four months, three weeks, two yeah. days. Yeah. Um, you know, Christian Mungu makes a lot of really yeah. incredible films. RMN from last year was um, like kind of criminally under mm. underviewed because um, it's incredible. But yeah, I, you know, I wish we had more of that <laughs> in our own uh, yep. country and that it would be widely viewed. Um, but, you know, the the ideas poured over. A no, I mean, they're talking anything. about the system in those Marvel movies. They're talking about how helpful the CIA is. It's it's <laughs> yeah, totally fine. Sure um, let's do a pick me up, Alyssa. What is the number two movie on your top yeah. five of 05? So I have very soft spot in my heart for Wallace and Gromit The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. As do I. Wallace and Gromit made a tiny mistake that became a big problem. (laughs) Wallace and Gromit The Curse of the Were-Rabbit Rated G now playing. In part because it's amazing and i will say this was one i actually had context for going into i didn't really grow up on wallace and gromit but chicken run was a movie that was on constant rotation in my household in when i was growing up in part because i um raised chickens when i was (laughs) grew up in the middle of nowhere we had chickens Yes, and so my parents thought the movie was hilarious, and we go sure. around quoting it. So, and it also result, had Mel Gibson in it, so they must have liked that. It right, that's right. You know, as kind of a Christ figure, yeah. so it, yeah. you know, it all worked. It out. works. Yeah. So, but uh, you don't really need to know much about Wallace and Gromit in order to enjoy the Curse of the Were Rabbit. Um, the other reason that this will always, I will always have fondness towards this is that my husband and I saw this with a, a bunch of other people, but. Uh, it was sort of not a date. It wasn't meant to be a date, but we happened to be at the same thing. And so right. it was the first movie I think we saw like kind of together, um, which is very hilarious and sweet and also very typical. And I've, you know, I've seen it a couple times since then, but it's just so funny and it's mm-hmm. got like a nice little romance in it. And it's got all the Wallace and Gromit elements and the cheese and the contraptions and all of these things. Um, and it, you know, it just makes me happy to remember it. But I also think, you know, sometimes these animated films that are technically made for children uh, kind of transcend yep. that subgenre. The, you know, the other great, great film of that type that I always think of is Wally, where it's like mm-hmm. it's doing something else. And often it's because there's not just gimmicky, but real um, integration of you know, parody about all kinds of other things from cinema that show up in the movie. And which is great because if you're a kid and you watch it, then later you watch in this case, like a classic monster movie and you're like, Oh, I kind of remember this, you know, Um, that's really exciting. And, and I love this movie. Yeah. It's also one of my favorite uh, Ray Fiennes performances. And I I say that with no, like uh, I'm not being cute. It's one of my favorite Ray Fiennes performances and he's a great actor, but he's, he's doing such complex. um, There's a real art to the, uh, the villainous douchebag. And he like, he really nails it in this performance. He does only with his voice. Mm-hmm. I did a Q&A with him a few months ago at at IFC, and we were sitting in the back green room, and I was trying to figure out what you do and don't say to Ray Fiennes when you're just killing time. <laughs> yes. And I just he couldn't bring myself to say, I love your work in, <laughs> in Walsing <laughs> <Wilson> Gromit. 
I was tempted, I'll tell yeah, you that. I'll bet. I'll bet. Yep. All right. Well, here we are, the cream of the crop, the top of the mountain for a, a really big year. Uh, so, Alyssa Wilkinson, what is your number one movie of 2005? Michael Hanukkah's film Cachet. On nous envoie des vues de la maison. Vous avez dû rester là un bon moment. La cassette fait plus de deux heures. T'as pas une idée, toi, qui pourrait s'amuser à ça? And if we if we want to talk about movies that really like blew my mind with their formal sure tomfoolery, it is this movie, right? This movie. You are. I'm sorry. I think you're the first person who's ever used the word tomfoolery <laughs> in relation to cachet. But please carry on. I mean, it is right. You know, you don't realize at the beginning of this movie what you're seeing, and that right. continues throughout the movie. Sometimes. You're watching a tape that was made that the characters don't know uh, how it was made. Mm -hmm. They just know they're mm -hmm. watching a, a recording of themselves. Sometimes you're watching the characters just sort of, you know, in the world of the film. Um, and there, I won't spoil it, but there is a moment of such shock about two thirds of the way through this movie mm -hmm. where something happens that you're just so not expecting. I mean, you might be if you know more about Michael Hanukkah than I did when I watched <laughs> sure. the movie. Um, but it's like brilliantly bleak and brilliantly confusing. And I have no idea what happens at the very end of the movie. And I love that. This, yeah. Again, this was a moment where I thought, wow, I can be confused by a movie. A movie can play with my expectations. A movie can... Um, reveal itself in ways that aren't simple plot twists and that can be good and that can be exciting and that can like um inform what i'm supposed to be thinking about when i watch the movie and of course now i've seen many more of his films i know that this is something he likes to do um, sure. and that he often kind of buries what his films are really about behind these things so that you really have to dig for them and i love that it's probably not for everybody um, but with cachet, which I believe means hidden or secret or something mm -hmm. like that. Hidden. Um, yes. Yes. It was the, very much. The English of versions that. of these titles are hidden and the child. And it's like, yes. you know what? They just sound cooler in French. I'm they sorry. Do. Say, they really do. Don't try to watch. Don't try to look for this movie under the name cachet because it will not get you anywhere. <laughs> You're going to have to look for hidden. Uh, hidden. Yes. Then you'll. Yes. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, he. All of his films also are kind of allegorical and nobody knows what they're allegorical quite about. You you know, right. he's not going to tell you. But this one, you know, maybe it's about guilt. Maybe it's about, um, you know, the colonialism. Maybe it's about collective memory. Um, you know, and I, I thought about that when I saw, I believe it's Happy Family is one of his later films that I saw at Cannes. And if you just watch it not realizing what he does, you'd be like, what is the point mm -hmm. of this movie? It's just rich people arguing with each other. And then you really have to realize it's happening near a place where um, migrants are are dying, trying to cross um, the channel to, to freedom. And then you start to realize what it's about. This movie, I did not know that at the time at mm -hmm. all. I was mm -hmm. just shocked and, mm -hmm. and amazed by the movie. And it's also genuinely good. Yes, it is. I do remember that ending being extremely controversial even among sure art was. house denizens and lots of furious letters to roger ebert's movie answer man and the whole nine yards well so ebert wrote a why you've read his review i assume of this movie have you read ebert's review of this it came out i, I think i think like so four or five years later 
actually. Oh, okay. And he's talking about, he like even gives like a time code for the DVD of the sort <laughs> of, you know, the specific shot that is right. the smoking gun that tells you who was sending the tapes, right? Mm. So I saw that and I was like, well, fuck, okay, fine. And I went and looked, you know, and I'm looking at the shot and I'm trying to sort of figure it out. And then I'm reading about it and, you know, I'm reading an interview with the director and the director's like, if you're even asking that question, like you didn't actually, you don't, you're not even... You're nowhere near following this fucking movie if you're even asking that question. And which yes. I've never heard anybody disrespect Roger Ebert like that before. I was like, oh my God. That's just. Right, well, Michael Hanukkah would be the guy. He sure would be the guy, right? Sure I mean, is. yep. Yeah. But I mean, I think that, like. But all of that just you know, made the movie better. Exactly, all of that just made exactly. it better. I didn't actually want. I didn't actually need an answer. And in fact, the, yeah. you know, the fact that the director is like sort of like, oh, I don't even remember. I Because he said, like, I wrote dialogue <laughs> for that scene at the end. Yep. But hopefully they've forgotten it. I have. You know, it was one of those <laughs> like, fuck, yeah. dude. Okay. Yeah. Well, then yeah. I can free myself from trying to like do the puzzle. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. which just made it so much more interesting. Yeah. 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 And, and I just love someone who is ready to hand that over to an audience and let them let them rip with it. It's yeah. just something that, you know, again, is hard to find often in American cinema, not across the board, but often and any cinema anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is this is, you know, this is a, a special film for that. But I think that that that's just something that really flipped a switch in my brain and told me that films were something that you could read and think about and not mm. just sit back, enjoy, and walk away from. And also, ironically, all these years later, a large portion of my job is to quote-unquote explain films, which I hate the word, but people do click on it. And so I have always made it my mission to figure out how to do that in a way that actually helps you learn how to read a film better instead of just trying to give answers. And I'd have to think that cachet is a big part of the reason that I do that. I love that. Is your husband luckier or are you? I don't know. This this film (laughs) this film mind meld thing that that you've managed is like that's beautiful. That's goals. I love it. Yeah. It's very it's certainly very useful professionally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Alyssa, this was a wonderful list and uh and frankly a really enjoyable journey through your uh through your early days as a cinema egghead. Uh so (laughs) thank you for bringing it to us. And now a word from our sponsor. Mike, I am in a good mood. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. And why is that, Jason? Because the New York Film Festival returns September 29th through October 15th with the most anticipated films of the year with in-person director Q&As and free talks. That is exciting. Right? Right? Okay, so now I want to go too. Well, I mean, who can blame you? And how do I do that? Just go to filmlink.org to begin mapping out your schedule to see the year's best movies when tickets go on sale Tuesday, September 19th. Filmlink, L-I-N-C, dot org. That's it. Get on it. All right, let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money. Here's Mike with awards and box office. Sell out with me, oh yeah, sell out. Oh boy, here here we fucking go. Are you sure we can't just skip this one? It's like every third episode. Best picture, best original screenplay to Paul Haggis and Robert Moresco for Crash. Lord have mercy. This 
fucking movie. <laughs> this goddamned movie. Um, we'll get into this in the after show, but this really was like this was the the first moment where I was like, oh wait, fuck the Oscars. The Oscars suck, dude. Nobody voted um, for George Bush, and nobody liked this fucking movie. The fix is in. <laughs> the fix was in. <laughs> Alyssa, uh, where do you land on Crash 2005? Not the Cronenberg. <sighs> You know, uh, I saw it on DVD after the fact, and Mm -hmm. I remember being like, wow, there's a lot of characters in this film. And then it just sort of disappeared from memory. And then I would say later, I was like, that actually was bad. But I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, and I have not, I should say, revisited it. But you know what's great is that two years from now, it'll be the 20th anniversary and we'll be be back to writing pieces about it. Yeah, wait. Yeah, it's it's just it's so ham-fisted it's just an embarrassing movie that like what i do think is really interesting is almost every movie that like has acquired the reputation among sort of you know film people the way that this one has like there's been some sort of movement to to reclaim it or re resituate it or defend it and it's not this one nobody there's still nobody going to bat for crash I think it's the definition of a movie that's aged poorly. It sure has. <laughs> In every single way. Sure Best has. director, Ang Lee. Best adapted screenplay to Larry McMurdy and Diana Asana for Brokeback Mountain. Boy, that's a good movie. That sure, I sure wish that movie would have won the award that everyone thought it was going to win at that year's Oscars. Um, it's just good. It's just quite good and modest and uh, sensitive and thoughtful and everybody's just acting their little hearts out and it's just a really good movie the kind of movie that should win best picture i think and if you'd like to hear the production designer not say anything about it because she's a professional and doesn't kiss and tell uh listen to uh episode (laughs) i mean it also had heath ledger right which tells us how long ago this was yeah Um, it sure did sure did Best actor to Philip Seymour Hoffman for Capote. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Alyssa, but it's a good one. <laughs> it is a good one. I had it originally on my list, which is why yes. I'm getting ragged on. But, you know, if I had to say why I had it on that list, it's because it yeah. also more than anything taught me about acting mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, what... Um, what does a performance actually mean? And, of yeah. course, Philip Seymour Hoffman was the GOAT. For uh, sure, but uh, to watch him embody someone who didn't look anything like him and see yeah. him in that frame, and that was right after, I believe, I had just seen Boogie Nights for mm. the first time, and just, mm-hmm. you know, that was enough to tell me what man acting had, really was. Man had some range, yeah. You no, can pair I mean, Boogie but, Nights with any other movie in his entire true. career and be like, if you look at it's those true. two movies... <laughs> Yeah. But also yeah. along came Polly, which was yes. a movie there that, you, you know. <laughs> there you go. No, I mean what's what's yeah, you're right. What's striking is is number one that he's, you know, creating a full-bodied character out of playing a real person, which not everyone who stars in a biopic that wins a best actor does, but also playing a a, a real person who to many people was pretty much a caricature, like who knew him as sort of a really one dimensional sort of personality from like the tonight show. And to find that character's like soul and, and how it sort of got twisted up over the course of this. The other thing though, that I do, cause I did, I did revisit Capote the other night. Cause I, I thought it would be on the top five. And um, the thing that was striking to me on this view 
was that as much as we think of it as PSH's show, and it, it's an incredible performance, like the the entire cast is is not like Catherine Keener's great in it, Chris Cooper's great in it. I didn't know who Amy Ryan was when this movie came out, but I do now. She's great in it. Um, it's just very well done uh, and 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 beautifully acted, kind of from top to bottom. Best actress to Reese Witherspoon for Walk the Line. Oh yeah, she's good. She's good in that. Yep. That's a, that's a she that's is. a perfectly fine um much more standard biopic than capote it's it's yes it's good i would say of the music biopics that are being made fun of in walk hard it is yes it's the best the best yes (laughs) Yes. there you go best supporting actor to Clooney for siriana that was a that was a good movie that's sort of been forgotten and he's good in it yeah i don't remember anything about it except that there was a lot of dirt sand there's a lot of mm-hmm. sand in syriana mm-hmm. so i should yeah. probably revisit it for this anniversary i remember something about like fingers getting i remember there being a bad thing happening just to, to his fingers mm. in that movie mm-hmm. so we'll we'll leave that there you know i remember it being sort of like well maybe we do need to be over there no we don't george and the cia <laughs> no we don't and stop with this movie yeah there's bad people everywhere Fuck yes. out of here. Best Supporting Actress yes. to Rachel Weisz for The Constant Gardener. Man, that talk about a movie I loved and have not watched since I saw it in the theater. But I really did like that movie. And she's great in it. I have still never seen it. And at some point, I realized that it was one of those movies I was going to wait till it was playing like in 70 or something <laughs> on somebody's rep, right. rep thing. So I'm still waiting. But okay. again, the anniversary is coming up. So I'm sure. All right. Listen up, yep. New York City rep programmers. Let's let's make the constant gardener happen so Alyssa can finally see it. Thank you. <laughs> Best animated feature went to Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, because you're goddamn right it did. Oscar, what they got a couple right that year. Yay. Yeah, I love it. And Best Original Song. Uh-huh. It's the only one Don't... that anybody remembers. Uh-huh. It's hard out here for a pimp by 3-6 Mafia. Hustle and flow. That's a good That's ass right. song. I don't care. I know it's everybody good... makes fun of it because it wasn't scored by John Williams. That's a good ass song. <laughs> Was this the year that John Stewart uh, hosted the Oscars? It's it's very possible. Yes, Maybe? he did, yes. and he okay. got up there and he said something like Three Six Mafia won Oscar, and then Scorsese Zero. <laughs> And that is a memorable Oscar moment. That's a good. That's for a good me. line. That's a pretty good. Yes. Line. Mm-hmm. Some other significant award winners: the SAG Award for Best Supporting Actor went to Paul Giamatti for Cinderella Man. Pretty good movie. Good. Good yeah. Giamatti performance. Yep. And Golden Globe for Best Actress Drama went to Felicity Huffman for Transamerica. Can't imagine that one's aged well. Cannot nope. imagine. Cannot <laughs> Seems imagine. like probably not. But here's what's interesting. Like, those were the only other movies that won awards in, like, all the other major yeah. awards. Like, this really was a year where it was kind of like they sort of figured out who was going to get all the Oscars in, like, late September. And everybody mm-hmm. just sort of marched through and got all of them, which I think is important to understand in the context of why everybody shit their pants when Crash won. Because it, Brokeback yes. Mountain had won all of the Predictor Awards, except I think the SAG Awards. And that's mm-hmm. actors, and they don't know what the fuck they're voting for. So it was just mm-hmm. surprising. It was very surprising because it was a very predetermined awards landscape that year. Yes. All right, Mike. Uh, now, I, I'm sure all of these high-minded films that we've been discussing uh, 
all were at the top of the box office for 2005 as well, right? Yeah. Uh, number 10, Hitch. Hitch. Yes. <laughs> Hitch. The, 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 da- the dour Romanian drama Hitch. <laughs> Technically a superhero movie. So, you know. <laughs> number nine, Mr. Uh, yeah. and Mrs. Smith. Mostly right. famous oh, yeah. even then for breaking up a marriage. Breaking up a marriage. I will go to bat for Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which I find yeah. like in terms of like your smoldering, sexy, summer popcorn action comedy, hard to top that one. A lot of good Those stuff. Those two one. people have had excellent chemistry. They sure did. Somehow. <laughs> Imagine that. They were real good together on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least for a little while there. Yes, uh, number eight, Madagascar. Still never seen Madagascar. Oh, yeah. I remember finding it funny at the time. There you go. That's what I remember. Yep. Number seven, Batman Begins. Hey, you know what? That's a superhero movie I liked, The Batman Begins. Yeah. Chris Nolan doing the thing. Number six, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Still haven't seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because that hack Tim Burton talked shit about the original while he was promoting it. And I said, fuck you. You're not getting any of my mo- any of my money for this movie. And I've held, yes. I've held on to that for nearly 20 years. I'm with you. I'm Thanks. completely with you on that. Yep. The uh, the effects are better. Nothing else is. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> well. I would hope so. I would hope so for the kind, I mean, of, exactly, the kind right? of check that Warner Brothers handed him. I would hope he was able to improve on the circa 1971 special effects. I would hope so. I don't know, man. That tunnel in the 1970s. Yeah. Is there anything as terrifying through? as the fucking no, tunnel in Tim Burton's entire filmography? I would dare yep. say no. Yep. Nope. All right. Number five, Wedding Crashers. I... One of Remember my most when that vivid, tall guy was a thing? He was. One of my most vivid uh, memories. I saw, we saw, the, a whole group of us went to the drive-in. We saw Wedding Crashers and the 40-Year-Old Virgin. And after the Wedding Crashers, Rebecca Ryan, shout out if you're listening, Rebecca Ryan, said, less syrupy stuff, more jokes and boobs. And you know what? I think she was right about Wedding yes. Crashers. Yeah. Yeah. It had, there was yeah, some funny was... stuff in it, but it was, yeah, too syrupy, needed more jokes and boobs. Mm-hmm. But it was one of the early R-rated comedies, right? It that was. broke a huge barrier. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the same, that director went on to make the Stone Cold comedy classic Eurovision. Um, ah, <laughs> that is a good I, when you said Stone Cold comedy classic, I thought you were going to say Fred Claus, which he also directed. Oh, so, no. Yeah, so. no, unfortunately. <laughs> Number four, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Audacity of This Bit. No, wait, uh, and The Wardrobe. I'm going to hazard a guess that you might have seen this one when it came out, Alyssa. I sure did. And I was uh, not thrilled with it. I mean, first (laughs) of all, it can't hold up to the old, the ones that aired on PBS when I was a kid, which are like hella janky, like (laughs) guys in beaver suits with Mm -hmm. like taped on teeth playing Amen. Amen. But um, as I recall, my main... uh, my main complaint about it was that the lion wasn't big enough. Okay. The lion had, you know, Aslan had a- the voice of Liam Neeson, but he just yeah. was a normal size lion. And I thought he should be fiercer and larger. That I think that's me. a perfectly valid criticism. And perhaps Greta Gerwig will correct it in her forthcoming so. Narnia movies, <laughs> which is a sentence. I can't believe I said it. It was true. Nope. Number three, war of the worlds. Oh Yeah. I have such a strong memory of going to the theater, really enjoying the first two thirds of War of the Worlds and being like, I can't remember the last time Spielberg shit the bed this bad at the end of a movie. (laughs) I can't even. 
even tell you if I saw this movie, to be perfectly honest. It's yeah. one of those ones that I, I don't remember. I do remember um, a lot of things happening because they had to... Did they have to change something about the movie because it was too evocative of, like, terrorist there, attacks? There was some like talk that. That, that just that, yeah. that the attack was a little 9-11-y. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 I do remember yeah. that. Can they we- made a movie where aliens invaded and nobody got dirty or got their hair messed up. Fuck <laughs> anyway. I did get to work on the trailer for War of the Worlds, which was I dope as this. fuck. And I'll tell that story in the uh, in the after show. We'll talk about after show. working for Steven Spielberg. Uh, on the War type, of the Worlds trailer right because Thank that you for is the a reminder. Uh, that's an experience that I've not had since. Let's just say that. Yep. Uh, yep. Number two, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I remember this being one of the ones I didn't like, but I can't remember why. I can't tell any of them apart, so I have go. I have seen them all, sure. um, but I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think I watched it after the fact. I've also never read the book, so the movies never made much sense to me, there we and go. that's just how it is. Look, one there thing Christians were right about when it was happening. Fuck <laughs> Harry Potter. Am I right? Okay. Oh, but now they love it. So, you know. Of course. Of course. How Star the War- I didn't say they were consistent. Star Wars Episode <laughs> Three: Revenge of the Sith. Number one. I said that backwards. Yoda style. <laughs> um, I do have a good story about this, which is I went to a STEM school, like an engineering school, and I was possibly the only person who hadn't seen Star Wars a billion oh times there. And my boyfriend at a is STEM not school, the one I married, the one in college. Yes, and uh-huh. uh, the boy, my boyfriend at the time was like, "Well, you have to watch them." So he sat me down over what I think was a period of like a week, and we watched. Mm-hmm four, five, and six, and one and two, and then what you know, finished number two and got straight in the car and drove to the theater and saw um, three. And I had no taste or any idea what was going on, and I was so swept up in the narrative by then sure. that I was like, this movie rules. This is amazing. <laughs> like, wow, what a story. And then yeah. I think it took me like a solid year to realize that people really hated this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot. <laughs> And that was an education. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Here's the thing. They don't all have to like it to get them to go see it. And it was the number That's one movie right. at the box office of 2005. All right, Alyssa, you ready for a lightning round? I am. All right. Mike's going to put five minutes on the clock. Uh, brief thoughts if you have them. Pass if you don't. And here we go. Woody Allen's Match Point. First Woody Allen movie I saw, and I thought that's what all his movies were going to be like, and they weren't. (laughs) (laughs) Me and you and everyone we know. Uh, I thought, who is this weird lady who makes these weird (laughs) movies? But of course it's iconic, and it gave us one of the greatest visuals of our time about poop. So, um, no, it's a great movie. (laughs) Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yeah. You know, I liked that movie a lot more than most people did, um, in part because while I had seen the, you know, the Colin Firth one, it Mm -hmm. for me was not canonical. And there were elements, I believe, mostly having to do with Donald Sutherland that I really liked about it. George Clooney's Good Night and Good Luck. I really still like this movie. I can see its rough edges now, but I used to show it in classes, actually, to students. Um, I just think it's got a lot of charm and style, and it's also about something that a lot of people don't know anything about, um, which I think it's janky now in the way that it handles it, but I still think there's a lot of merit to it. 
The other Steven Spielberg movie of 2005, the controversial Munich. I saw Munich and I don't remember any of it except Eric Bana, who's very pretty. That's a thing to remember about it. <laughs> yes. Uh, Alyssa, did you see Memoirs of a Geisha? I did not see Memoirs of a Geisha. I still Nor haven't seen Memoirs I. of a Geisha. Yeah. Nor have I. Terrence Malick's The New World. Yeah, amazing. It was, I think, my first Malick, and this was the movie that I went and saw, and then the next week I found out I had mono, and I oh, thought, no. I don't know if that's why I couldn't stay awake or if it was the movie, um, and that is my my great memory of that movie. <laughs> Noah Bombach's The Squid and the Whale. Do you know, this is really depressing, but that is the one movie of his that I have not seen somehow and I know I will love it, and I mm -hmm. think I'm probably waiting for a rep screening at this point. It doesn't seem like it's a long shot here in here no. in New York <laughs> that someone's <laughs> going to screen that on a screen. Um, uh -huh. Three smashes of contemporary musical theater got film adaptations that mostly were poorly reviewed and did not make much money. The Phantom of the Opera, Rent, The Producers. Okay, so of those at the time, the one I had seen is The Phantom of the Opera, and sure. I saw it close to a billion times. We were really into it in college, <laughs> and I've seen it a bunch. And I, I, that is what I thought Gerard Butler did wow. for a long, long, long time. And then he turned up as what he does now, which is yes. basically a genre unto itself. And I thought, <laughs> oh, and then I went back and watched it and realized he can't sing at all. So that's probably why. <laughs> that's probably where he should be. Uh, yes. Rent, Rent or the Producers scene. So thoughts? I've still never seen Rent. I've never seen any iteration of Rent. Um, the Producers we fine. did watch. And it's delightful, um, but I don't really remember much about it, other than sometimes I hum springtime for Hitler to myself. To yourself. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sam, Sam Mendy's Jarhead. I don't think I actually saw that movie. Shane Black's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I did see that and I don't remember it. <laughs> uh, Robert Rodriguez's Sin City. Oh, that was one that I was still kind of like, am I supposed to watch movies? That have <laughs> am I allowed to see this? Yeah. So I didn't see it. Um, but it is another one that feels like it really deserves the theatrical experience. So it, I'm waiting. It, yes, it's, it's an extremely 2005 movie. Uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong. Yes, uh, I did see that. I didn't have a lot of feelings about it at the time. And um, at the time, my boyfriend now husband was working uh as a cater waiter he was temping um you know when he was between mm. jobs and he did the premiere for that and the only story he had was that one of the olsen twins was at the table that he was waiting that's very so exciting that's mainly what i think about when i think you just about King Kong. you associate the olsen twins with with the 2005 version one of King olsen Kong. twin but he wasn't and sure olsen. which which one how could you know they look exactly alike the that's hitchhiker's the guide to the galaxy yeah, I have a huge fondness for this. And I think I read, I had the mega book, like all five in one volume mm -hmm. that I read in college. And so um, I went and saw it. And then I, I don't, I, again, I don't remember the movie, but I was very excited for it. And I definitely watched it. And that's where my memory ends. I do carry a towel whenever I travel. Though. <laughs> Last but not least, the aforementioned 40-year-old virgin. Yes. I mean, a classic, right? 
it's I I I don't know. I like those movies. I have mm-hmm. they don't need to be anything other than what they are. Um yes. and also I'm not totally sure I had seen Steve Carell in anything before that. Um and now as I approach my own 40th birthday, it is quite <laughs> oh, funny to think of him in that because he has always seemed way older much older much me. older than yes. any of us yes he seems yes. to have been born at about 47 hey can i add all one? right uh, yes of course can i add one did either yeah. of you guys see instructions for a light and sound machine <clears throat> we can't no. leave 2005 without mentioning this movie for proper film nerds like it's made by this austrian film professor and he took he took uh, a film print of the good the bad and the ugly Right. And then he he cuts it up and makes it into a different movie where Tuco comes into town and gets into a gunfight, kills some people, gets hung for it and then goes to hell. He takes an Italian Western and turns it into a Greek tragedy. It's 16 minutes long. It's on YouTube. It's called Instructions for a Light and Sound Machine. It's hard to sit through in one sitting, even though it's only 16 minutes long. (laughs) But if you've never seen it before, like proper fucking film nerd especially like if you you know you're as familiar with the good bad and the ugly as anybody who's like has tcm will be right it's a fucking wild fucking movie dude like highly recommend instructions for a light and sound machine i love that we will put that on the sub stack so you can just watch it right there on the page. Uh, all right, Alyssa, well done on the lightning round. Let's Thank throw it you. to our friend W. Axel Foley for a quick PSA. Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here. And Alyssa, where can people follow you on social media? Um, You know, it's kind of... For this week, anyhow, Please leave I'm still me alone. on Twitter, kind of. Um, so you can find me on Twitter or whatever we're calling it these days, uh, where my handle is Alyssa Marie. And then everywhere else is just Alyssa Wilkinson. I just unfortunately got got Twitter like 19 years ago and um, forgot to make it my last name. So that's where you can find me. I And uh, I also, everything I write goes on Vox.com. So that is that is where my work is. Um, you know, I, 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 I wax a guest's car and I'll tell them how, you know, I'll tell everyone that they're wonderful because they are, if they're on the show, <laughs> I like their work, but Alyssa's really one of the best who's out there doing it and, and, and approaching these subjects and approaching art in a way that is serious and brainy and also approachable. And I, I'm just so glad that you're out there Aww. doing that and that you're my friend uh, I'm Thank Fun you. City Cinema on Instagram Jason Dash Bailey on Blue Sky and Letterboxd where you can find under my lists the top five for every damn episode of the show Mike where can people find you uh, how about Fifth Column Films on YouTube where you can watch a logo of this show while you listen to it it's actually not very exciting <laughs> but it is there if you'd like <laughs> to watch it some people prefer to watch things on YouTube um and if you're on Substack, well, so are we. A very good year.substack.com, where paid subscribers get bonus episodes, bonus writing, and much more. Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of 2005? Uh, I got to go with Lady Vengeance for this year. Park Chan Wook uh, made a three part Vengeance trilogy, yep. although, like, the stories don't act, they're not like sequels. The stories don't connect. It's not like John Wick 
14 or whatever <laughs> it's 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 just sort of thematically combined and so sure the first one was sympathy for mr vengeance the second one is by far the most seen which is old boy and then the third one is lady vengeance uh and it is just sort of you know all the sort of like controlled chaos and and you know sort of stylistic switch-ups that South Korean cinema has become really famous for, you know, sort of starting with Old Boy, right? I feel like we were sort of all like very Hong Kong yep. focused, yep. sort of up until sort of Old Boy. And yep. from Old Boy yep. on, you know, we've sort of shifted in a lot of ways to South Korean cinema. And Lady Vengeance is just a really great example. Uh, it's all the things that you like, but it's sort of um, early enough in in Park Chan-wook's career that it's still like there's an incredible amount of sort of vibrancy and excitement in the movie. It's just a cool fucking movie. And it starts in the very beginning, you know, Lady Vengeance gets out of prison. She does a 13-year prison stint and she comes home to the Christian missionaries that she used to hang out with and they're all eating big blocks of tofu and the pastor holds out a plate of tofu and says, here, when people come home from prison, they eat tofu because it's white and it signifies that the the purity of the life they're going to lead and she fucking knocks that shit on the floor and the movie just goes. So, Lady Vengeance, <laughs> Dude, that's a great fucking movie. How about you, buddy? I've given this a lot of thought, and I landed on the Matador, which I'm not. I, I'm not even sure. I don't even know if it was in my top five in 2005. But every time I go back to it, I'm just sort of astonished at uh, the, the 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 delicacy of the tone, of how deft the dark comedy is, of how gingerly the writer and director Richard Shepard weaves in the pathos. Uh, I think it's maybe my favorite Pierce Brosnan performance. Um, I think it's maybe my favorite Greg Kinnear performance. And like this movie came out on like December 31st. It was a Weinstein Company release. They fumble fucked it all to hell the way they did so many great movies in this era. But like if you it, it occasionally streams here and there and it's worth tracking down. That's the Matador. Um, all right. Thank you again, Alyssa. Thank you. This has been really fun. Yay. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for listening. It sweet and clear. It was a very